Cradleine Network. My name is Conrad. Whoa. Alongside my friend Fox. And this is the 263rd episode of Space Spitter 2000. A podcast for two Americans where it makes sense for the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for October 1992. Progs 804 to 807. This time... Judges Dredd and Joyce are on the hunt for gold. Luke Kirby is hunting vampires. Wireheads surf the web. We'll re- and we'll return to the Pat Mills Power Hour as Finn returns alongside Flesh. Finn. And if you were to read along with this, you find yuck, the comics for. Sorry. <laughs> Come on, buddy. If you to read along, this is from the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 18. We're on to a new case file, Fox. Uh, oh, that's impressive. Zenith Phase 4, the Complete Luke Kirby, and the Judge Dredd Magazine 310 and 316. I'm sorry, 361. Ooh. Ooh. And before we get started, the Fox. choice. Exactly. Before we get started, Fox, I really want to give a massive thanks to friend of the show, Michael Briggs who a couple months ago actually sent me physical copies of the progs that we're talking about today. What? That's awesome. Like, yeah. No, 100%. Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> Hear this? Like, those, are the, those are the comics that we're talking about here. It's great. It's really cool, actually, to see... Um, like, I've got some progs from, like, the early hundreds, I guess, or from the early 80s. Yeah, it's interesting to see the changes in these um, in these early '90s ones. You know, that's got to be stark in terms of comparison. I mean, it's definitely like you know they've got sort of a more traditional glossy comics cover, and it's cool seeing the um, the 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 color pages in here and stuff like that. It's really interesting seeing just how the how the pages look versus how they look like on the uh, scan versions that we have and stuff like that. Um, they're also real big for comics, I guess. Like, like I compare this. Like it's boxy, it's square. Um, they're like, well, let me hold. Let me, uh, uh, l- let me compare. Um, I can't, we are in a video, so I can't show you, but I'll compare sure, sure. it to this issue of a comic I've got from, I believe, like the early 80s from the U.S., and a 2000 AD is both taller and wider than the American comic. It's much wide. It's it's more wide than it is tall. Oh, that's great. Yeah, cool stuff. And I really, really thanks to Michael and um, yeah for just sending those things along. It's cool to just get a sense. You know, I guess they were doubles in his uh, in his prog collection. So happy to reap the rewards of uh, comics collecting and things like that. Real hey, cool. Hey, thank you so much, man. Yeah. For sure, absolutely. All right, but with all that said, now we got to get to the stories contained in these progs, Fox. Oh no, we got to talk about. <laughs> I know. I hate comics too, Fox. I hate nerds and nerd-related <laughs> I, things. I seriously, I want to just put them in a toilet bowl, give them a swirly, and say, "Hey, why aren't you here? It's been three hours." Uh, you Irish person who had a broken down. I'm so busy with my sports 
thing and things. Yeah, no, my favorite part about sports is that there's a score and people have a there's a, yeah. a ball and different teams. There are two, Ooh. sometimes multiple different teams in sports. Did you know that? No. Thrill one, Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot Greg Staples, letting robot Tom Frame. Another Speaking four of issue- teams, uh, <laughs> it's a team up. That's right. Yeah, re-team up. Yeah, this is another one of these four-issue miniseries, which seemed really common in 1992, it seems like, Fox. We've, we've had a bunch of these in the pages of 2000 AD. Yes. I'll agree to you, that thing. Yeah, listen to me. But there was, there, there was like that Babes in Arms one. Um, I did there was like that Babes in Arms. Those, those one with got the, really murdered. With, yeah, there was that one with the Cool Brothers. I don't know. I just feel like we've had a couple like month long series and no, yeah, this year. no, it's good because I I feel like <clears throat> you need a break from your mega epics to you know remind people that Judge Dredd is a uh, a boot heel thug horrible yeah. jaw man. And I feel like it's sort of a, uh, a, pr- a preview of things to come, as I think nowadays your average Dread story is about six weeks long, so it's long enough to sort of release as a as its own sort of standalone I, graphic I novel will, comic I, kind of thing. I will say this ahead of us reading it, is that uh, I really hope at some point they, they pick back up on the whole democracy thing, even though it, it ended up not working out, because he's still got his JD flavor that we've known for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel like there's been an aggregate change, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like part of, you know, that cosmology of dread or, or his like beliefs and stuff like that was, I feel like he feels real vindicate, like he was really questioning whether he was a tyrant or not. And I feel like we're still, he's still, we're still in the afterglow of him being vindicated by winning the popular vote and stuff like that to keep yeah, the judges exactly. in, you know. But we'll see more of that as, as time I'm, goes I'm on. I'm sure, sure he'll get challenged again, and uh, another like fucking fifty percent of the population yeah. will get killed. We'll see. Who knows? Yeah, I feel oh, like I, are, yeah. also the singing this the weird singing fish mermaid things. I like they made a reappearance, although they weren't front and center for anything. <laughs> they didn't sing. No. So here we go. At the Customs Checkpoint in Mega City 1, the Transatlantic Tunnel, Judges Dredd and Custer wait for someone to arrive. Custer drops, drops some exposition about cooperation between Mega City 1 and Emerald Isle, the <clears throat> Dread World version of Ireland. But And then Dredd tells him to shut up. You've served your purpose, basically. Yeah, well, he's like, oh, God, he's not even here. Uh, it's so pointless. But I, it, like he's answering his own questions that he's posing to Dredd. And I love this because it's just dread coming in. It's like Custer, shut the truck up, <laughs> and then and then just like jaw out, like very meaty jaw here. It's a ve- it's, I would call this in the top top yeah. five jaws I've seen. St- Staples draws a powerful dread jaw, definitely. Mm. An hour later, in the transatlantic tunnel, we see Judge Joyce, one of the only surviving previous guest star judges after they were all killed in the course of the Judgment Day <laughs> mega epic. <laughs> And he's wrenching on his broken down lawmaster and dropping more exposition, this time that he's going after some escaped criminals, the Odilligan brothers. And in the end, he's forced to hitchhike the rest of the way to Mega City One. At Odilligan's nightclub, crime boss Mika Odilligan is getting some bad news, Fox. He's got a McSodza syndrome, which will basically cause him to contract into some kind of weird flesh ball or something like that. He's got yeah, bonitis. He turns into a giant pus. Uh, like a giant pimple. 
but like yeah. with arms and legs sprouting out of it. Exactly. Gross. Anyway, he needs gold to counteract it, but he doesn't really have any gold. So instead, he shoots his doctor, as you do. Could things get worse? I feel like, I feel like, yes. like, like, do you inject the gold? Do you build a suit of gold? Like, is it the gold like applied to the skin? They do not. They do not well, no, say because he how shot much. His fucking doctor. That's yeah. why. They don't say how much or how the gold is supposed to stop the Mixad syndrome. I can't stress that enough. Uh, <laughs> so uh, things get worse because there's no good brothers. Patty and Francie have just shown up on the run from the Emerald Isle law. Mika isn't feeling his, this family reunion pulls his gun and pulls a gun on his bros. Meanwhile, Joyce is just arriving at the checkpoint three hours late. Dredd isn't happy to see him and wants him gone. So they'll just loan him a law master and just snag these Odile again and get them out of here fast. We'll figure it out as I guess we go along. Let's get this bumpkin out of here ASAP. Naturally, the cycle is too much for Joyce at first because he gets no respect. Back at the nightclub, the brothers O'Dilligan are explaining their attempt to blow up a bank that also blew up a nearby petrol station, but they did get the loot, namely a bunch of gold, which is oh, in fact man. relevance to, to Mika's interests. Well, that's nice. If I had so many times where it just becomes gold, you say. <laughs> Love gold, Fox. Glittering prizes, really. Mm-hmm. Dredd and Joyce are rolling through Mega City One. Joyce is marveling at the city as Dredd casually just takes out a sniper as they go. Like, watch out. <sighs> at O'Dilligan's, Mika wants the gold his brothers have, but they aren't telling him where it is until the until then the judges show up. Dredd threatens Mika, who plays dumb, but both judges know he's lying. They'll keep the place under surveillance when Dredd spots something. As Joyce chats up some ladies at the bar, Dredd I, sees yeah, some it's guys. Like, oh, I spotted a thing, and he spots some fucking legs. It's yeah. it's real, um, real different way of doing judge justice. Absolutely. Um, Dredd notices some dudes drinking from cans at the bar, which seems to be hey. illegal. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's aluminium, as they say over here. Mm. I'm not, I'm just not familiar with you can't drink cans at bars. I feel like I have. You know, one time one time, I ordered 20 Bud Lights at a bar just to, like, be weird, basically. I just gave them out to people. Um, anyway, Dredd kicks some ass and blows a dude's head off, which basically, to like, me, seems like there was just, really? like, they needed an action scene for this issue, and this was sort of it, basically. <laughs> yeah, to hit the quota of somebody exploding with blood out the back of their head and basically. also their eyeball hitting yeah. a table that the girls that he was chatting up, it's like, uh yeah. The dereliction of duty where we are from, Joyce, and fucking just don't do that. I'm real rude. I'm asexual to the law. At Sector oh, House 40, oh, yeah, the, bartender, <laughs> the bartender says that he served the cans and Dredd gets that surveillance set up as Joyce tries Man, to chat up Judge Hershey. What's with all these mm. patsies? Oh, and yeah, dude, I do like the, the setup with Hershey where he's just like, Hershey, eh? That's a nice name. And her answer is literally, are you for real? Because <laughs> he's doing that like leaning on his on his hand mm-hmm. as his like elbows against the frame. And he's like, hey, uh, it's Hershey. Mm-hmm. 
And really, what he should have said, Hershey, that's a sweet name. Uh... See, I don't know if they have that brand in England or Ireland or whatever, Fox. I don't know. At the bar, the O'Dilligan brothers prepare to head out to get that dang gold and hopefully cure Micah, though he's not telling his brothers about the requirement of gold for the cure to his disease or whatever. Nah, man, you can't can't give him the upper hand. Those are no good your own blood brothers, I guess. I do not understand. Like, this is one of these times where suddenly Mega City One has, like, evidence laws and Dredd and Joyce can't just rip this place apart or something like that. Yeah, you know? no, it's just like, oh, yeah, we know it. And I'm just like, well, why wouldn't you just bring dude in and fill him, pump him full of truth drugs or and just also use your a hand- side judge? Yeah, or you oh, use yeah, your handheld lie detector to see if he's lying or not, you know? Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. yeah so, you uh, didn't even have to bring him in for all that shit. But you could have brought him in because you've seen the bar doing the crime of serving drinks and glass. Right. Whatever. Like you're negligent to the fact like you hired these people. Like he's done. He's brought in people for less. Yes. Know? A surveillance pod picks up O'Dilligan rolling out with a bunch of goons, but still no sign of his brothers. So Dredd and Joyce remain in a holding pattern. Indeed, it seems that the O'Dilligan lads are hidden inside the wall of a van or car or something. Yeah, and they it's talk not to their really brother. Explained. Yeah. They tell their their brother where the gold is in an oxy pool, in a locker at the oxy pool. We learn about oxy uh, okay. pools. We're gonna get <laughs> into this now, Conrad. Yeah. They were first so what built. Is it, what is an oxy pool? It's a pool that you can go to, like any a normal pool, yeah. uh, except that it's filled to the brim with oxygen. It's oxygenated water, which That's right. is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because so you can breathe underwater. Water, well, no, water has oxygen in it. That's why it's got an oxygen molecule. So they're like, oh, we added more. And so my answer is, so it's atmosphere. Is it like you can't just over oxygenate water? Uh, what the fuck's going on? Well, oh, you can't you can... just over oxygenize water, Fox. These guys you know, can. It's twenty ten. It's twenty one ten technology, Fox. It's you know they're they're advanced. You can't just apply. You can't just do what they're what they're inferring you can do, but you can. And oh, look, they're reading newspapers underwater and drawing underwater and eating S- underwater, smoking like, fancy well, cigars. Not, yeah, it's just not water anymore. It's just air like it's hydrogen and some oxygen hanging out together because they're not like forcibly compounding to it it's it's so bizarre to me <laughs> but you know i like i get it i need to suspend my sci-fi here but they th- fine. it comes back up later because of all of the oxygen in the oxygenated water fox i don't want to be this kind of guy all right but judge red turned into a werewolf once <laughs> You know, it's true. They made Boeing. I know. I know. I he he time traveled to fight vampires and a zombie version of himself. I rescind my comments from earlier. And, and you yield can the breathe to the in the water. I, I yield the rest of my time to the gentleman. So. Gold's hidden in a locker at this place. Dredd follows the car- the Odilligan caravan, Hershey's- Hershey and Joyce in tow. 
Hershey saying this is a bad place for a gunfight as Joyce sings football chants to himself because he's going to catch these Odilligans. Ole, 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 ole. Oh, the Odilligans threaten their way into the pool, get to the locker, but have forgotten the combination to the lock. Luckily, Micah just blows it open and they get their dang gold bars. Well, Micah's gold bars, to be honest. Ooh, there's a double cross. Outside the pool, the judges have arrived in a blaze of glory. Pretty cool pictures. I like, um, it seems like Staples is going for at least one page that he could like, um, that, that is suitable for framing and he's put his signature in as we sort of go through these ones. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're busting through a door on your giant lawmaster. It's right? pretty awesome. Yeah. They open fire as Patty kicks Mika in the jimmies and Francie runs with the gold. In the, I do the, like I do like that the guy flumps into a giant pustule. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. As the judges run in, Mikas McSod's syndrome kicks in. Yeah, oh yeah, he he flumps and then blush into a gross meatball man. Basically, the judges arrest <laughs> him, but wonder if they're actually they, if they should just mercy kill him here. You know, I mean Dre- his mouth and his nose have sort of been subsumed into his chest or something like that. Yeah, no, there's no way he's eating food anymore or breathing, potentially. I mean, like you can see, his eyes are bloodshot because he's not getting enough oxygen to his own brain, but I guess is still able to talk through his weird folds in his not neck, but pustule body. Yeah, echoing echoing through his folds. Dread and Joyce arrive at the oxy pool, and there was a firefight. The surviving Odilogan brothers escape to the women's locker room as Micah comes after them through his weird disfigurement. But oh God, as yeah. they oh run, oh my God, there are men here and also a giant pustule man. Oh my God! As they run, they drop the gold bars into the pool, and I had to do a quick look up to see just how much gold bars weigh. And they weigh about 27 – one gold bar weighs about 27 pounds, Fox. Or, they're uh, fucking – they're heavy. 12.4 kilos, 400 yeah, troy not, ounces. They are not they're light. They're not light. And uh, like running with one is actually like – you know, you pick up a weight and run yeah. with it. No, they're running with four. So like you've got like over 100 pounds or whatever, over uh, almost 50 kilos, I guess. The, not good. No, the judges are shooting these dudes down. Adred even gets one perp with an armor-piercing round through, like, five lockers, which is cool, but also, like, oh, my, my clothes. Joyce goes after <laughs> Patty and Francie as Dredd goes to handle Micah, who won't go down. He takes a couple shots, but I guess his McSod syndrome is also giving him, making him in, um, have endurance or something. Dredd, well, you know, your organs go in different directions. The rest is just pus. That's my guess. Mm, so much pus. Dread hits the crime <laughs> boss with an incendiary round, and yeah, Micah tries to be it. smart and put the fire out by jumping oh, into the God. water of the oxy yeah. pool. But the oxygen in the pool <laughs> doesn't put the fire out. It God. feeds the fire, and so he burns uh, down to a skeleton. Wouldn't uh, a bunch <sighs> of other people also catch on fire? That's all of the oxygen was sucked out of the oxygenated pool. Uh, not if you keep your distance. Joyce You're rolls right. out. Judge Dredd did turn into a werewolf. <laughs> he turned into a werewolf. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to use these trump cards, there was Fox. A, there was a Spider-Man who prayed to his million-eyed god because of the stars in the sky. And a lady like, who got a virus that turned her into a spider, Fox. There is so much spider. The one guy who was a uh, like the living version of Gaia, who's just plantman. Fox, Remember that? 
Fox, Father Earth aside, all right? Two weeks That's ago, we right. were talking about zombies. We were talking about a zombie incursion. <laughs> remember, remember that one time that they they shot a bunch of, like, super missiles at a place? And then they're like, nah, man, we're just going to have an interdimensional teleporter teleport it to a um, better version of Earth. I'm just saying, be cool about... About fire be, safety. About pool fire safety. <laughs> be cool. Be pool. Oh, oh, I love it. I love it. I... Love it. So Joyce go, tries to go rolling out after the remaining Odilligans, but instead they actually jump on his bike instead. And the three of them go careening onto the skedway where they promptly crash into a wall. A week later, Joyce is all bandaged up, recovering from the crash. And the Odilligans and just so cranky smash to, to jam. Basically, he's lucky to be alive, but he disagrees. Tell the judges and their mega city to go fuck off. Basically. Yeah, no, like, you can just fuck right off. I'm never coming back here. This place sucks. This place sucks. You suck. I'm out of here. Jesus. <laughs> he heads off as Dredd and Hershey remark that he didn't, that Joyce clearly doesn't have the luck of the Irish, and that's just tough. Next time on Dread Theme Park Mayhem. I'm gonna say right now, their sign-off was real garbage, because they could have been like, well, what are we going to do with all this gold uh, that we got? And Dredd could be like, well, doesn't really have luck of the Irish because this gold wasn't found at the end of a rainbow or whatever. Like just mm. saying tough. It's like so like mine was not good. Malformed. Right. But saying like, oh, he doesn't have the luck of the Irish and then saying tough. It's tough. Eh. Yeah, I would I, I would say Ennis is still working on his one liners, you know. He's not not That's as fair. He's, he's workshopping. He's workshopping, right? Like like who the hell is going to mess with us? That was a pretty good ender, but mm -hmm. like I mean, there's still room for improvement, is what I want to say. It's just like I guess he doesn't have the uh, luck of the Irish. Well, I guess that man's just unlucky. Would have been worse, but better. Yeah, but you know, listen, I really, I, you know, the silence the Fox, there is really what nails it. <laughs> Fox, we can only complain about these old comics for so much. You know, it's all ancient history, 29 years ago and all that. But you oh know, it's even God, more. But speaking of 49 million years ago. Yeah, whatever. you know, it's even more ancient history. <laughs> thrill oh, to, thrill to flesh. <laughs> it's five million years in the making. <laughs> Script wrote by Pat Mills and Tony Skinner. Art wrote by Carl, Carl, Carl Critchlow. Letting wrote about Steve Potter. We're mid-flashback from last episode, Fox, as Shamana's escaped criminal mother has run deep into the prehistoric Man, jungle. <laughs> I like how little her mother mattered during the whole thing and how much her, her second mother mattered during the same comic book. Listen, this is so good. Any, anybody, listen, Fox, I'm gonna, I had this joke lined up, but I'm going to say it now instead. Anyone can make a baby, but it takes a badass T-Rex to be a mom. <laughs> oh, that's that's a good one right there. Dance it, keeper. Anyway, so she, the mom's running in, has, uh, has running into the prehistoric jungle and happened upon a T-Rex nest just as some eggs are hatching. The T-Rex immediately eats the mom, but baby Shimana instead tumbles out of the backpack that the, his, her mom was carrying her in. Falls her into birth the mom yolk. was carrying her in, landing right onto a T-Rex egg. And this is enough to trick the Mama Rex into thinking Shimana is a baby dino. 
And uh, Shimana befriends another pup dino there uh, that would eventually grow up to become Kagrok, the friendly killer. And good Hell thing, yeah. good thing, Fox, that these uh, baby T Rexes aren't bloodthirsty murderers like the ones that are in the comic An Eagle called Bloodfang, which is about a murderous uh, T Rex. Shout out to Where Eagles Dare. Um, anyway. This leads to your basic raised by wolves type situation, but with T Rexes. Yep. By Talk six- about it. Hey, you could say that she's a tiger mom, but quite frankly, this one's a T Rex mom. You know what uh, I'm saying? Oh my gosh, we got to sell self help books. Um, so oh, by six, yes. she's holding her own in fights against the T Rex, and by 13, she's become a full fledged hunter, but seen her dino mom get killed in a fight with the Styracosaur. Oh, yeah, that. And- fucking thing is gonna be dead because i'm gonna take my mom's tooth and i'm gonna jab it in the eye of a stegosaurus yeah in her grief she takes both her uh, red ragged clothes and her sweet knife from her mother's uh, skin and teeth she and Kagrok then become a powerful hunting duo by 17 she's ready to take her fight to the humans so it's at, so so awesome. It's pretty Her cool. Her brother is a goddamn T-Rex and That's she's right. wearing the skin of her mother and using the tooth of her mother to destroy people. That's this right. This is how this comic book basically starts this month. Absolutely. Yeah, so God at the time at the time to time uh slaughter uh abattoir, we see some dang hippies protesting the dino slaughter, or in this case dino gelding, as one of those fresh flesh jerks prepares to uh cut so, the nuts off some pachycephalosauruses. <laughs> so I got a question for you, because they came in a bus. Is yeah. this like a whole the magic school bus situation that they hook it up with like a time thing that let them Go through time and space on a magic school from bus. What, from what it seems like to me, Fox, is okay. that that is that this time to time company just sort of has um time you, like you you can go through the time vortex basically and, and uh, go back in the past via them, which I feel like is how all of the like employees and camp followers and other things Man. like that are in their <laughs> big floating kinda... city. We'll see. Same thing with like that Claw Carver guy in the first Flesh story, and mm-hmm. he had like his own like town full of things. It seems like yeah. he can tr- like it's not just slaughterhouse employees and stuff that go back. Everybody's going back. And so it seems like these hippies with their micro bus have also gone back for protesting purposes. Look, man, I've got Disney plus. I know what happens when you fuck with the, the perfect time stream line. (laughs) And I'll say that, Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have one half of the Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson team up is going to come and find you. And they are going to tell you, you did a naughty time stream thing. You're now in time stream jail. Oh, no. I hope it's the Owen Wilson oh, half, to be honest. Oh, uh, yeah, no. It is the Owen Wilson half because Vince Vaughn has not aged well. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. But, but so, yeah, there's hippies, Fox. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I can't stress enough that we got a message here. Because it's t- these hippies are talking about, hey, it's real. We- it's gross that you're gelding these dinos just so they're f- they're yeah, their no, meat will taste better. Already. That's but, like, already weird. Think about how they do that in the real world with actual bulls and stuff, Fox. Whoa. I mean, hopefully not with bolt cutters. How else? You, what What are they supposed to use, Fox? 
not like a scalpel cutters. Does that make it better? Is it better if they do it with? Well, is it better if they do it with pinking shears? Is it better that we made eunuchs to protect the royal families? Like the answer is no. You shouldn't geld anything. But I mean, like I've got a cat. She's effectively had that done to her. But I had it done by a doctor and not some dudes who were just like, ah, fuck it. I'll just shoot this dinosaur in the face and like cut off its nutsack. Yeah, well, listen, you know, you, know, you got it when you do it at an industrial level. Jackhammer. You know, I'm sure that it would be less fancy if instead of having them be companions, we were raising cats for food, buddy. Oh, that's the real question is, uh, you know, did He-Man actually geld Battle Cat? Because, I mean, it, it was Cringer. He's afraid obviously, of everything. Yeah, obviously, yes. But he regrows them when he turns into Battle Cat, buddy. Oh, my God. Duh. That's, <laughs> That's part of the, like, you know, in those cartoon shows when they, you know, they, they do the transformation oh and it lets you save like two minutes of every episode because you just replay the same animation <laughs> sequence you every episode. Skip. Skip episode, so you're gelding the episode. Is that what you're saying? When He Man came to America, they cut out the five seconds of the balls regrowing. It's like when, uh, in that it's like how they don't get naked when they change into their costumes in Sailor Moon or whatever. Anyway, that's that's my dude right there. Thank you, Conrad. Anyway, to this scene comes <laughs> Shimana using the psycho chameleon power of teammate Mufa okay. to look like Mrs. Tropicana and one of Mrs. Tropicana's pet dinos. So I, I want to call this out right now. She is so she's working with the psycho mantis of what is their foxhound team. She has a dinosaur foxhound, and I am so into it. Can't wait for the dinosaur with a rocket launcher. Can love bloom on the dino field? She opens the paddock and lets all those dinosaurs out. Then drops her disguise and gets to stabbing. The rest of the pack attacks too. They, we we get a, uh, they, the narration makes a very big deal that they aren't planning any of this stuff. It's just directed instincts. And that's probably why they kill the protesters as well as the um, time to time employees. I mean, listen, vegetarians are full of nutrients and vitamins that you need. That, that dinosaurs crave. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Suddenly, Shimana gets hit by one of these Roughnecks' uh, gravity guns, pinning her in place. It looks like she's in trouble. But oh, and by the way, the rape overtones in that scene. Yes, just the way I the, like them. Sm- like so, quiet and submissive. Yeah, it's just like like unable to move and doesn't speak. And I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Not super cool, buddy. I mean, it's good that he gets kicked in the balls and then eventually eaten, but also, like, I mean, your bar for entry on this is, like, what, rapists? Mm, I guess that's who you would send back to hunt dinosaurs, right? Because you're either going to die or not. Yeah, well, I mean, it is, yeah, one of those Australia things of, like, you know, let's get the worst folks the furthest away from our time, I guess. Anyway... I guess being raised by dinosaurs gives Shimana special powers that make the gravity gun not quite work on her enough. So she's able to kick the rough neck and the jimmies and 806. That's two <laughs> thrills in a row that have ball kicks in them. Meanwhile, hey, listen, it's a, it's a clutch move. Uh, IMO. 
Meanwhile, tiny drug-taking dino Aika is investigating the protesters' minibus, drinking cologne, putting on lipstick and a dress until, like, in becoming, like, a, a lizard-human drag queen kind of thing? I don't know. Yeah, it's beautiful. Living her true life. But the scent of humanity is enough to send Raptor knee Shrek into a killing frenzy until he is restrained by the giant Grack. Who? The- Who, I guess, like, is like, hey, like, listen, man, gotta calm down. Yeah. Because someone's wearing a dress and wearing lipstick doesn't mean you can just eat them. Plus you know? that little lizard guy is the one that gets us high. As fudge. They spit stuff into my mouth and it makes me feel good, baby. Yeah. Bustin' makes me feel good. I ain't afraid of no dinos. Finally. The human shamanic kicked is on the run, gets to a light tractor beam leading up to the floating time-to-time base. He goes aboard, vaguely warning the two guards at the beam, and soon Shamana follows as the guards imply she's some kind of prehistoric prostitute, I guess. I, I love I love that the prehistoric prostitutes wear basically similar stuff as her. So everyone else think that thinks that she's also a prostitute. Yeah. Which, it's I mean, uh, more power to the reptile house for understanding their clientele. Absolutely. Yeah, listen, sex work Wild is real work. women are in. In the floating city, things suddenly become very Blade Runner, Fox, multi-story indoor cityscapes full of neon and holograms and stuff. Shimana huts her prey by scent and finds him at a dino diner eating just a giant steak which and we learned that you can eat all the red meat you want if you take your cholesterol tabs um and then turns out this place is run by that martinez lady from last episode and then shimana comes bursting in to the shock of all these fat ass dino diner customers i mean listen it's there's there's a lot of fat and dinosaurs i guess i mean it's huge huge slabs of meat that they're eating so it's not particularly healthy i suppose I guess I I haven't really eaten a like here, but my understanding, Fox. And, Listen, you know, the, the most uh, the, the most outlandish thing I've eaten ever is an ostrich burger, right? Like I've had that alligator like, and stuff like that, but ostrich is I feel like the one that's really out there, and it's gamey, you know. Yeah, it's got and, some but, chew to it. I'm just surprised. Like you wouldn't think that dinosaurs would have would be able to produce an actual steak. Because you'd think yeah, it'd they'd be have so like large, and they'd have like white and dark meat, basically. Like they'd be, they'd have They're meat birds. that's closer to a chicken, or and I mean lizards and and chicken, or lizards and birds have similar meat, I guess. So it'd be that's more like that point. as opposed to red meat, you know, whatever. Um, but that doesn't matter. Not having but a steak. We've definitely. Well, I mean, you can have like a chicken. Well, no, it's, nah, well, it's like nah. mammal. It's like mammal meat is like steak, right? Yeah, like you can no. have lamb steak and things like that. Yeah, steaks are more. I always assume I always them with a red meat instead of uh, fowl or whatever. But anyway, I guess not. Doesn't matter. Shimano's quick <laughs> to the this point. Man up. Yeah, she stabs this dude a couple times and then throws him into a deep fryer, then runs off Ooh. as it explodes and Martinez complains, not again, I hate this lady. She runs yeah. after Shimano with a video camera as some security goons and hover bikes show up and chase after the wild, the wild woman. They shoot her with pink lasers. <laughs> this is apparently <laughs> called Grakawa, the noise that kills. And Shimana jumps off the side of the floating city where she's promptly caught by her pterodactyl. Well, I guess not a pterodactyl, but like her, like, you know, dino bat friend. I forget Scria. what his name is. 
Okay? It's like, yeah. spree off, baby. The two of them fly off, pursued by the hover bike cops, until those cops are plucked out of the si- out of the sky by the giant maw of Graku. So, so awesome. It's just like <laughs> snacks. It's like, oh, potato chips. It's... It's awesome enough that I'm willing to overlook the uh, Shacko-like ability to grow the size required by Graco. Okay, you're right. Because like, he's, he's one clearly of the got ones, right? Well, no, he's big, but like he's this. He swallows both of these hover bikes whole in one bite, like he's Godzilla, and he's not that big normally. But hey, like, you know what? He didn't plan for that to happen. But hey, if there's going to be some potato chips flying into your mouth, you might as well. <laughs> Absolutely. All this is caught on video by Martinez, who shows it to the time to time execs. They agree with her about the threat of the wild woman and dinos working together and hire her back on as head of security. She's- Man, but you know, those guys are real pricks. Yeah, she walks off mad with power to start tightening up security around time to time. This place has the worst safety record of anyone but trans time. And as she goes, the execs talk to themselves, make very clear that they're just setting her up as a patsy to die and take the blame with the rest of these folks when Plan B goes into operation. I mean, really, can you trust time people? Is really, like, anybody who owns... I guess just a corporation. They're out to they're out to make you their patsy, especially if it has to deal with time and dino burgers. Especially it's what I've learned from flesh. Especially this era of Pat Mills's writing. If you are a corporate guy, then you are definitely evil, one hundred percent. And and looking to feed me to a dinosaur. I mean, or you're in league with mystic ancient dinosaurs, Fox. Oh, like boy. in Thrill 3, Finn. Oh, God. <laughs> Script robot Pat Mills and Tony Skinner. Art robot Jim Elston and Kevin Wicks. Letting robot Steve Potter. Technically, this is Thrill 6, but I got to put these together for a Pat Mills power hour. Oh, uh, yeah, baby. <laughs> so, Fox, listen. The great old I want to be your anchor man. We all know what they're up to, and they aren't. But they aren't waiting for the stars to align. Indeed, they never left Earth. They control the world with their tabula rasas, overthrowing the natural matriarchal order of the Earth for and the listen, for one of dudes some, in science and conflict. Some swim, some sink, but I'm an anchorman. There's a pretty cool – I like this opening picture by Elston and Wicks. Oh, yeah. Of this oh, heavily yeah. armored St. George lancing a dragon and standing on a field of skulls and stuff. It's pretty cool. To fight these guys, we've got to get our one of our own tabula rasas, and our boy Finn is the man to do it if the slingling monsters and anchorman assassins don't get him first. His high priestess Mandy tells him to cheer up about all this, and I'll just mention that it's she's drawn really interestingly by um, by Elston Wicks here. Like she's real, mm. she's real muscly, and she's got a really pronounced uh, brow ridge. I guess. Yeah, yeah. That, no, she's very she's very buxom. Yeah, and I but I I think some of those elements because she kind of talks about being immortal and from like you know ancient times and stuff. I think gives her kind of like a, a Cro-Magnon look almost or something like that. Like I think they're sort of playing yeah, absolutely. up some more primitive elements of, of her looks here. I'm not saying she's ugly. I'm just saying that she's sort of got some, you know, some interesting features. Oh, here, no, man. She's, she's great. She's witchly hot. 
Absolutely. She says she'd do it, but she's so close to the goddess that she can't actually, she literally cannot engage in dangerous things anymore because the world bends itself to protect her. And she proves Uh this by putting her hand in a fireplace and the fire instantly goes out. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, I can't go into dangerous situations. It's going to have to be you guys. Weird. Anyway, go fight that guy who's going to beat the shit out of you later. Luckily, Finn's a man, and that makes him expendable, but it also makes him capable of doing some massive damage. Finn says goodbye as he heads out to the various pagans around the bar. You know, does get some hugs, does some fist clenches. Merry meet, merry part, merry meet again. Yeah, baby. In a rainy evening, Finn gets into his cab and his dispatcher, Sadie, sends him down to the waterfront. He thinks he's going to be meeting Mm -hmm. his friend Cindy with an S there, but instead just finds a phone hanging from the booth. And Instead, he's taking a slow boat to the bottom of the ocean because, yeah. bitch, I'm the anchor man. <laughs> Follows a trail of lady stuff like a purse and shoes into an alley where he gets hit in the head by an oar and then kicked in the face by a steel-toed boot. It's that dude Kruger, the anchor man, though he's morphed from kind of a Rutger Howard type to a uh, Psycho Sid type from professional wrestling at this point. Big buff. Oh, sure. Kind of curly blonde hair. I still love it. And I love underscoring yourself as like, (laughs) would you like to meet me or... Oh, fuck. (laughs) My paddle, because I'm about to sink this situation into the bottom of the ocean. He's wearing a lot of leather. He's got like leather pants and a leather jacket with that like diamond stitch on the the shoulders. I will... I will say the diamond stitch is a little scaly. Mm, you're right. And he's wielding. This, this character is a little bit fishy to me. Listen, you know? he's, on, he's on brand. Absolutely. He's armed with a big oar and a net, sort of like a uh, <laughs> Retarius uh, gladiator. Oh, the guys yeah. that used tridents and nets back in the day. Yeah, but also exactly. gives a very aquatic theme. I, I mean, I love it. I just, uh, I wish he had eyes on the sides of his head as opposed to the front of his face, you know? <laughs> no, nah, man. They're really the, playing into it. They're in the front because he's a hunter. Next time, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> More like hook, line, and stinker. <laughs> you're a stinker, uh, buddy. I know what you're like. Thank you. I do. I, I mean, you know, smelly boy. Absolutely. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't say. I found you to smell uh, quite pleasant, Fox. Old Spice thank Man. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, but listen, speaking of going out on the town for a night of excitement, Fox. Oh, God. A town that's like morphing into itself constantly and yeah. geometrically shaping itself to the gods that run this horrible nightmare that we call reality. Absolutely. Thrill for Zenith. It was Legos, but then it was tubes of glass with human innards. Thanks, guys. That's a good ad. That's a value ad. I like that they showed the tubes, but don't show the Legos. Script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Steve Yole and Gina Hart, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Zenith has been removed, has been reduced to a smoking skeleton fox. Peter Sinjin to a blackened corpse. And old man Michael Payne, narrated in a childlike scrawl, is bummed love, out at the site. I love the scrawl, by the way. It 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 is one of the few times in which I will actually say this, that the the text mirrors the art. 
because mm-hmm. um, it it's like there will be things that are scratched out or like semi redacted where it's like, oh, I wrote the wrong letter. So I scratch that out and then I start writing the correct letters. It it feels like a child is writing it the entire time, not because of the context, because yeah. the context is there. But no, yeah, because we, of the actual look of things. It's definitely it, Zenith is so good. Yeah, we talked about this last time, too, for sure. Yeah. Um, the Loigor, which he misspells, turn into terrifying bug shapes and fly away and just start changing the world in various horrible ways pretty frequently, finally settling on the people with hands that are class pairs of uh, – or with the heads that are class pairs of hands. And I think like the descriptions of all of these are really well done, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and really well misspelt, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like yeah. can do anything now. I don't think they are uh, it, now, and I think they are bored with Earth. Is a is a sentence that is written. <laughs> yeah, um, it's very very good because this you know he's a child now. Yeah, no, and the world is just constantly rent by whatever passions take the Loigor like a game, like like a video game. Basically, we sort of you know you can just mess around with stuff. We see Payne, just a little boy in his old shirt, long like a nightgown. He feels really tired, doesn't want to write. Instead, he just crawls into bed, sucking his thumb. One of the Loigor arrives, Ruby, we find out, and finds him as just a little baby inside his old clothes. Ruby picks him up, reading his mind to just see pictures and noises, including Peter Sinjin. She holds him aloft to see the new world he's made as Payne the last true human floats into the air, de- de-aging from baby to embryo to just some sparkles in the night. Look well, what she, you made! Yeah, she throws the baby into the sky as it devolves. And man, oh man, there's there are some key things here that kind of hint to you what will happen. Mm-hmm. But my God, is it horrific? Like the whole time it's horrific. <laughs> So the Loigor sort of check out Payne's book, but don't even oh, read it. Oh, and then they just, just destroy it completely. They're yeah. like, yeah, why would we read a trail made by ants, you know? Yeah, it'd just be like looking at the tracks of ants, which some people do find interesting, but these guys are also jerks as well as uh, godlike super beings. Instead, they fly off into the lunatic spires of London, catching fire as they ascend. There's some real nice language I, I hear, but but I can't write it all down, just describing this new world and the Loigor within it. And the narrator that's talk that's saying it does wonder, like, wait a minute, who's talking? What's going on here? Yeah, they'll, they'll be... The, and it's interesting because they they separate it as, like, uh, parentheticals, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in parentheses and saying, like, wait, is this me? Who am I? And then more narration and then a parenthetical. Like, it's it's clear that they're, they're still alive. Mm-hmm but their consciousness is sort of outside of anything else that they know. And we see who that eventually is. Well, I think, I think a lot of the times it is, we do learn that it is kind of the disembodied consciousness of pain, even be like existing beyond death and stuff like that. That's the thing I would say. I think that that pain is the construct itself. It is the chimera. No, you don't think so. Let's, well, let, 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 let's get to it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
But so um, the Loigor grow more and more powerful. Soon the Earth isn't enough for them. They move on to the other planets in the solar system and then beyond. They grow to the size of galaxies, moving faster and faster beyond the scope of reality to see the very curve of space-time. And this is where Payne recognizes himself or part of himself in this grand design. Until eventually they reach the intangible walls of creation, only to find their actual real tangible walls there, holding them in. And beyond those walls of infinity, they find themselves trapped in. There is a hand, the hand of Peter Sinjin, holding the Chimera Pyramid from the start of this story. He's trapped them. He also who, who did who they mind you that they destroyed the Chimera Pyramid right. at the very beginning of this, right? And I'm saying, but re, <clears throat> it's not made of pain because remember, Chimera was one of the superhumans that he made along with like Sinjin and Ruby Fox and stuff like that. That was then yes. locked in a vault for all this time no, and sort one, of to, like talked to Zenith, revealed itself to be all powerful, but then just kind of turned into a into a no, pyramid. But what, I'm, what I'm asserting is the person that we considered to be Payne in this entire story is actually the Chimera. No, well, I mean, because Michael Payne, he was an actual person. He like did no, the, no, that's experiments. I, I mean, Michael Payne is a person. I'm saying that it's the Chimera realizing itself. If that but, makes sense, because they were trapped with within the kind like. But so okay. they and I mean, so they they've decided to take the form of their of their creator. Kind of, yeah, because because that's how they were ultimately trapped. The Loigor mm-hmm. were ultimately trapped in it. That's sort of the the feeling See, I got was that pain wasn't inside of the Chimera. The it was the Chimera that was keeping them trapped by convincing the Loigor that they were pain. I don't know. And I pain eventually. Revealing it's because you you as you read it, it's like I am more aware of myself. I am more aware of all these things. Yeah, I they mean, don't know it yet, and they're they're about to hit the limits of their reality. To me, I kind of feel like it, it's more um, like that's just sort of pain. After he got de-youthed, he kind of then became, or he became once he became re-youthed and stuff, he kind of became one with the universe. I guess. I mean, I I see that as completely viable, also. And right? like, um, you know, I don't he, disagree, basically. And so, you know, but it was just one of these things where since, like, basically Sinjin is just sort of getting rid of all of his enemies here or all of the people that would um, attempt to, to thwart to be- him. Both both these Horus superhero, su- superhumans and Pain, the doctor with the ability to make more superheroes, basically. To, to be clear, this is a conversation that Conrad and I are having at about Zenith. <laughs> like, I this just is, this is it's that good. Is sort of my point is like it's we are having an existential conversation about whether pain is or is not or chimera is or is not right. Like this is how good this comic is. I just wish there was I just wish there was a section where they'd shown exactly where the where the crossover is, I guess. Yeah, I I don't disagree. I, I think that it's unknowingness is pretty great, especially where we end up. With yeah, the end of the comic? I guess, but I, I mean, at the end, I would have loved to have a flashback to, like, was it when Ruby destroyed mm. the pyramid earlier? Was it before right? then like, something? Oh, they destroyed it, and so that's when they were trapped inside of it, kind of. Yeah, like, I just, I, well, I, I agree. I agree with that, actually, because I, I would have liked to know when this cyclical nature started, because it seems like either A, Sinjin 
did all of this because fucking that's how powerful Sinjin is, which I think is where they're going. Or it, it it was a trap laid very long ago by the Chimera, maybe? So, yeah, I, I would I would have like how he's contacted. Like, I don't know. I would have just loved sort of a like, you know, at the end of a of a heist movie where they kind of show how the heist went down, basically. Um, I would have loved this. A, 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 a scene like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where, you, where they sh- – yeah, in Ocean's Eleven where they just show you all the different things they've been doing the whole time. But anyway. Or, or a clue where this is how it could have happened. This is how it could have happened. Yeah. This is how it really happened. Whatever. Kind of something like that. Anyway – as um, Sinjin holds the pyramid at his desk in number 10, he also quotes, quotes William Blake from uh, the poem Auguries of Innocence. To see the world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wild flower, hold infinity in the palm of your hands and eternity in an hour. He's done it! <laughs> so, Boom, baby. I trapped you in a prism and I'm right. not even uh, Pink Floyd. Yeah, the Loigor are little more than a desk ornament trapped inside Chimera. Again, I don't know. It's not clear they did this. but And it also looks like Labor is currently ahead in the polls. This might be a bit of a Pyrrhic victory for Sinjin, though he's not that worried, it seems. Uh, Zenith, Eddie, and a surviving Acid Archie, he lived, are planning for a party. yes. Acid Archie. Acid Archie, get on your dinosaur and fucking rave out with your robo junk. Yeah, as I guess like you're like a spanner and some bolts and maybe like a wingnut. Something. He definitely insults on its record collection. He wants that techno. Archie, <laughs> uh, Eddie doesn't like Archie, which seems to be a point here, I guess. Um, and then puts on the news um, where it seems that a popular later le- later labor leader has died of a heart attack, scuppering their election chances. Archie well, and, and, and this this labor leader was brought up prior by Zenith talking yeah. to Sinjin. He yeah, was like, like I said, oh, this guy seems ahead in the polls. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, he said labor's ahead in the polls, but now something's happened that's caused them to be looking much worse in the upcoming election. Like somebody uh, dying. Yeah. Archie and Eddie bicker, um, and we got the usual uh, offhand Kylie Minogue slander as Sinjin offers his, as on the TV, Sinjin offers his condolences, but says the election will still take place. A few days later, at a giant rave, Eddie is saying gender bender stuff is going to be popular next. What with Ru and uh, RuPaul will be getting into the charts. RuPaul's first they, album and would not re- saying it all that nicely. No. I, I will add, however, not wrong. Yeah, like, uh, like I, yes, like I was going to say, RuPaul's first album would, would be released in '93, but they wouldn't top the charts until uh, 2004. Mm. Zenith gives Eddie a hard time for all this and says that at the ripe old age of 24, he's fed up with the pop music scene. Just decides to head home early. He sings "My Insatiable One" by Suede as he gets into a cab. Where the driver's bummed, but the Tories winning the election again. And at Tory HQ, we see Peter Sinjin take the stage as a rain of union of a union flag balloons fall. Like so many former hippies, he's now a conservative bigwig with ambitions to control the world. And he specifically has the superpowers to let him do it. The final image of, of oh, Zenith I love this. is Sinjin with those pupilless, superpowered eyes as his mandala co- colors swirl around him. The end of Zenith. So uh, one thing before I ask you the obvious question. So um, Zenith's manager... Like there's there's this whole exchange with them. And I think that 
this is somewhat telling of the writers. They're like they're in the rave that was put on for Zenith. And Zenith actually grabs dude uh, Eddie around like the uh, around the shoulders is like, yeah, just what are those pills anyway that you're taking? And how come your pupils are always so dilated, which is a very clear call out to party drugs for the rave scene. Right. Uh, Which I thought was interesting because I'm like, how would these people writing that comic know about that other than either a... I mean, the news didn't really report on it. I mean, a having experienced it or b like hearing about it. Right. So it's not as like what I'm what I'm fascinated by is that this is a comic book for teenagers. It is clearly cutting to the quick of like that kind of culture. And it impresses me uh, that they have or or that they instilled the kind of knowledge. They're like, no, we we know. I mean, the second. Oh, sorry, please. Well, I was just going to say that, yeah, I mean, there definitely are. I mean, I mean, we've talked about this a bunch of times, how like uh, editor Alan McKenzie's really heavy into the rave scene. They had a rave for the 10th, for the 15th anniversary yeah. recently. Well, one one would have hoped it was a bit more PG than that, but it it clearly is defined as not. The, the mean, next you know. thing I, I, I'm going to ask you, you know what I'm going to ask you? This ain't the end of Zenith, right, baby? I mean, sadly, this is the end of the phases of Zenith. This is like, I what? mean, Zenith will return for a couple cameos and maybe one or two, like no. one or two brief, like one-off or very short things. No. But this is basically, yeah, this is basically the end of Zenith, you know. What a fart for a fanfare. I mean, it wasn't, right? Like, it, it had some of the creepier visuals and creepier writing. Yeah. I just... I it's mean, so good. I I don't understand why this would be the end of it, right? Because like it it doesn't need to exist on a time continuum that is current with our own. Because obviously they didn't, right? Um, it's an I alternate mean, reality. Still in- they could pick this up. They could pick this up at any time and be like, "Yeah, in this different reality, these things happen." Like that's such a bummer because it's such a a well written, well illustrated well-lettered thing it's a beast yeah but you know i, I mean, just didn't, i just didn't see this as a definitive end if that makes sense because think, like the sinjin thing at the end i i would have been like ooh, ooh, what's he gonna do that's gonna be I evil mean, as fuck i'll say that i think it's a it's a fine stopping point for zenith um just because this you know it does sort of end with um with Sinjin in power and basically any like what the, the only the Tories being the constantly only, in power. I mean, when like when Zenith makes a makes a crack that that Sinjin's going to be voted out, he says, if I leave, like he basically says, if I leave this office, it'll be to a bigger house, basically, which sort of implies other things for world domination, etc. And also this plot that he's had has managed to eliminate all the serious superheroes basically like the only mm. super beings left is is acid archie and zenith who and and zenith who could actually like absolutely zero him as far as i can tell or maybe they might be matched we don't, i'm just saying like i mean there's some interesting things that are happening there but yeah the superheroes that are left don't give a shit and the one that does yeah. is in power yeah right? and like i don't like saying. honestly like i wouldn't say that zenith like listen this is superhero stuff that is very the opposite of what zenith is about in terms of superheroes fighting 
but I can't help but notice that Zenith rare, like occasionally throws a punch and uh, and uh, Sinjin has been instrumental in winning every single superhero fight in the course of this story, you know, in all four yeah, phases. Who's, who's, I mean, well, who's the real superhero in any Zenith story? And the answer is not Zenith. Right. And right. so but so he's basically like sort of eliminated all the serious super super beings. And now the world's basically his to do whatever. Um, and like, and honestly, it's such a less sexy ending than I guess I'm used to in a superhero story, which I guess is the. Maybe the depressing fact of reality, right? That's how it goes. You know, these guys, you know, the rich get richer or something like that. And like generally, like the other thing is that um, uh, uh, Grant Morrison especially is just on to other things, you know, like at this point in – 92 he's done work you know he's done doom patrol and animal man he's done arkham asylum or he's um, yeah yeah done arkham asylum i believe and just all these other sort of big groundbreaking things which means that like you know he's going he's off to become a a, a big player in uh in dc's vertigo line you know he's he's, he's, he's left all of the past inside of a weird pyramid construct in the desk of peter singen and he's moving on yeah and so i mean this is not the end of grant morrison in 2000 ad he's going to continue mm. to do some more stuff but i think it's stuff that he kind of either has a passion for or just kind of thinks is funny or something like that um, I mean, I'll, and, I'll, again, I'll say this. This is not a bad story. Yeah, right? I'm not. This is not me equivocating that in any way. I, I'm, I'm just sad there's not more Zenith, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think it's just that, um, like, you know, I feel like Morrison especially is kind of tired of the character and sort of said what he wanted to say. And so he's on to other things, you know, and I think that's fine. I'd rather. No, that's good. These characters come to stopping points, then just keep going on. Oh, then go through else. the whole fucking like robo hunter cycle of things. Right. And yeah, similarly, like, I appreciate that they've respected the character enough to not um, get a new writer to work on it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, just resuscitate something you know, that didn't need to be there. Got things yeah. to say about superheroes. You can say them with your own characters. It doesn't have to be Zenith. Although, you know, it would be fun to, I don't know, they use Zenith like every couple of years just to make fun of the pop music scene or something. I'll take that in short, in small yeah. amounts, not in huge amounts. I'll, I'll take a DJ and Quinch take. You know, like yeah, DR, yeah, DR. Excuse me, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, I just speaking lost my of credibility. a of a bold editorial decisions, Fox. Well, I would <laughs> hope that it was non thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Mm, I see eyes in the dark. Nope. 804, contact. Luke Kirby's reaching out to some scary eyes in this John Ridgway cover. The Nerve Center, Tharg plugs a few graphic novels, especially Killing Time, which um, mm-hmm. – and says um, he'll be making an appearance at the Festival of Tales from Earth sci- sci-fi convention Islington. Tharg also okay. starts a series he mentioned last time, the uh, Prague Genesis, which is a – Series of how 2000 AD is made. Step one, Tharg thinks up the basic blueprints of all the different storylines and uh-huh. sends them out to writers. 
Mm-hmm. Mid Prague, there's an ad to win movie tickets provided. Oh, yeah, if you buy the shaver buy, thing. Like- yeah, buy bronze <laughs> shavers, but you got to do it from the store Boots. Fox, have you ever been to Boots? No, I have not. But also, like the tagline that I read here if girls love a man with a great shave, they just adore a man with a great shave and two free cinema tickets. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, that that sounds right, you know. Uh, yeah, Boots UK only excited to go someday. I, um, I can't use electric shavers, by the way, Conrad. I don't know I was, about you. I was going to ask I about cannot. your thoughts on electric shavers, actually. So I, so I got an electric shaver when I was 16 or 17. And, like, it didn't matter which one because I, I got a hand-me-down from my dad. And it gave me razor burn. And then I got a different one that was supposed to not do razor burn. I got razor burn. So now and since then, I I just use a normal razor and it's great. I just put balm on my face afterwards. What do you mean? Like 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 a Mach 3 or like um, one of those ones or or what what do you? I did. I did my stint with a straight razor. The biggest problem with a straight razor is that you have to pull your skin from two different directions in order to shave. And it actually it just takes longer, but you get a better shave, your smoother skin for, you know, a couple hours. So what Mm -hmm. I use is like, you know, just whatever Mach 3 or whatever the fuck equivalent. But I found so I use a a horsehair brush and I lather there's because I get this soap from my um, from my Italian cousins. It's mm-hmm. called Ooh. Lavasso and it's just a soap dish and you lather that your your horsehair brush up with hot water, paint it over your face, just do a shave and then hit your face with some balm. And I'm telling you, man, faster, better, less problems. I don't know. I like the I get I get in some way the electric shaver. I've never seen it work on anybody that I know. I don't know <laughs> anybody who has an electric razor uh, because it just seems like something that's going to give you razor burn on the face parts of you that aren't your head. Yeah, but that's my experience. Absolutely. Conrad, how do you shave? I use a and same- would 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 you use a brawn for two cinema tickets? My answer is no. Nah, I use a safety razor, which is which. Um, yeah, is cool. You got Got to deal with razor blades, and then I think I, I have. Otherwise, my setup's pretty similar to yours. I think, um, like a safety razor, you know, feels very like uh, old school. I guess. Mm-hmm. Important thing to know about safety razors is that the safe, the safeness that they have is in comparison to just using like a razor, like a straight razor or a knife or something like that. In terms yeah. of like, <laughs> they are not. We're not going to let you cut your finger, but you got to be careful on your face. Yeah, buddy. it is very much just a blade that has a handle that you rub against your face, which is solid. I like that. Anyway, here we go. Mm-hmm. The input page has small pictures of Dredd on his bike and a Slain ABC Warriors crossover. Letters ask about reality in Slain, ask about recycle with Judgment Day corpses, which was discussed in the course of Judgment Day, by the way. Um, yep. There's requests for more Armored Gideon, Harlem Heroes, Chopper, and graphic novels in general. And some questions about the changing eye colors of Judge Hershey. Don't be a jerk. And the prog ends with more ads for the 93 annuals. Those are in the back of most of these comics. Prog 805, Chaos Rules. Steve Yole draws some very scary green faces looming over Earth. In the nerve center, Thar gets some red hot circa 1992 political correctness takes. 
with aliens being astronomically challenged the way that um, a short okay. person is vertically challenged, etc. And announces an ABC Warriors signing at Waterstones in Plymouth. Progenesis cool. Part 3. The writer droids then take the blueprints from Tharg and make full scripts as Tharg demands countless rewrites. Um... Between Luke Kirby and Wireheads in Prague 805 Fox, only in these physical copies, so it really paid off actually having these comics, was right. they had the results of that uh, custom Game Boy contest from a couple weeks ago. Oh, great. Yeah, so how'd that go? With the cool Game Boys that people drew on and then sent in. The winner was a brightly colored Strontium Dog Game Boy, which is pretty cool. Like, oh, hell yes. Very kind of like modern Brett Ewan's colors with like a Strontium Dog badge in the middle and stuff. Fuck yeah. Second place was this nighttime scene. Like the, the, the Game Boy is mostly dark blue, but like the, uh, the D-pad of the Game Boy was like this bright yellow moon. And then Ooh. the like A and B buttons on the Game Boy were the eyes of an owl. And then like cool. the start and select buttons were parts of the owl's like uh, talons or something. It was pretty neat. Oh, and then, awesome. And then the, the third runner up was um, a was basically using the Game Boy to be like an old school arcade cabinet. And there was a kid in the middle of the Game Boy that was like playing at, oh, the, at the arcade oh, cabinet. Cute. It was fun. Yeah, then bunch of other winners, etc. Congrats to all those winners. The input page is a picture of Tharg Simpson, like Bart Simpson. Letters that object to the use of the word serotonin in Zenith, because apparently serotonin in the UK is called 5-hydroxythyptramine, I guess. But the shadow I mean, men so that serotonin yeah, is what you mean. And the shadow men that killed Zenith were American, so they'd call it that in their characterization. I guess there's Boom, a Boom th- baby. Yeah. And then I guess apparently in ninety two there was a Milky Way commercial, like the Milky Way candy bar, that featured a place called Darg's Diner being destroyed in the course of it, and several readers write in about that. Also, Ooh. a bunch of folks are experiencing thrill power overload as Judgment Day concludes. Hell yeah. Prog 806, Greg Staples draws a dread. Theo Dilligans and a smiling Judge Joyce in a montage cover as text reminds us, dinosaurs rule, okay? In the nerve center, Tharg announces the return of Finn next prog. And in Prog Genesis Part 4, Tharg dispatches the Finnish scripts all over the world from Orkney to Andorra for the art droids to do their thing. The input page has a picture of Judge Speedy Gonzalez, a letter dreaming of a prog with no nerve centers or ads. But I like those things. I don't know. And yeah, some, no, it's a good break. Yeah, and some gibber, gibberish poetry from a five-year-old. Reports of a typo in the micro guide from last episode and reports that Scooby-Doo is a strontium dog ripoff. The prog ends with a what? Because well, because <laughs> Scooby-Doo's got that he's got that SD tag on his collar, buddy. He says he's That's trying so to true. horn he's in on our action. Destroy puppers. Listen, some people might say that sure, but Scooby-Doo predates Strontium Dog, and I say that's just the wonders of time technology. The- yeah, I mean, like, look, he I I imagine that what he did was once he was like really over it with doing strontium dog stuff because he is a dog and he can talk probably through the power of strontium uh he just decided to go to a different timeline where he helped people solve really baseline criminal activities where he really didn't help all that much he just ate giant delicious sandwiches with his friend who was high off his ass 
Stronty, Stronty dog, I see you. You're hunting for a bounty. You're not fooling Are you me. Because I can see yeah. the way you throw that time bomb. Oh, Ooh, I like it. Anyway, the prog ends with a pinup for the return of Finn, the Slayer shirtless, holding helm and gun aloft as the sea serpent coils around him. And 807, Fright Night, Finn's back, baby, in a cool Mick Austin cover. Also, shout out to James, whose name will be written on the top of the next few covers we'll be looking at in our digital versions. Okay. Uh, um, I should say my physical copy has a price tag on it for one ninety five, which is less than double the cover price in today's pounds if you assume Australian dollars. In the nerve center, Tharg <laughs> crows about the return of Finn as progenesis – Goes to last minute rewrites and adjustments, and then the letterers come in to do their grim work. Mid-prog, there's an ad for European Gen Con, this sweet gaming convention. Oh, yeah! D- Gen Con, baby! D&D tournaments and artist booths and all kinds of stuff. Also, later, there's an ad for the fantasy novel Shadow Maze Fox, which I'm mentioning mostly because the author, Jonathan Wiley, which is the pen name for a married couple named Mark and Julia Smith, also wrote a book called Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. I'm glad that you can bring it back. Always. And please put the stank on it. Why, why would you say that? Why would you think I wouldn't? The Nerve Center has a pretty so cool picture of Dread with a smoking gun and a bloody day stick, as well as both a Bradley-style Bad Company and a Bradley-Kilroy mashup. Letters correct oh. the use of the Sartor, Repo, etc. love spell and request that we finally see Dread's face. The prog ends with a pretty nice pinup by Ron Smith of Tharg sitting on a mountaintop of 2000 AD. Carved the words 2000 AD carved in the side as three suns hang overhead. It's neat. It looks good. It's it's one of the few Tharg uh, vanity pieces that I I think I like. I'll take an occasional Tharg thing. You know, I'm fine with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And speaking of strange um, astronomical astronomical, astronomical <laughs> situations, Fox. I, I was I wanted to give you the beat, man. Speaking of that, let's go to Thrill Five, Luke Kirby. Who wants to spend some time with the hobo? I do, I do, I like homeless. Who wants to spend some time doing dark arts? Me, 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 my name is Harry Potter. Who wants to find out who killed this child? Me, 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 show me your dark magic. Whoa. <laughs> Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot John Ridgeway, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Fox, in a murder basement. I have feelings about this. <laughs> Young wizard Luke Kirby meets with a mystic tramp to discuss a recent murder that took place here. <laughs> the mystic tramp. Yeah. Jonathan Ayers. We'll learn his name the bit later, uh, next, uh, next uh, prog, I guess. Mm. The basement is unusually cold because of the presence of a night walker, which is the name of the story. A creature so evil that it's only drive his hunger with dark magic at his disposal. The troop 
or sorry, the tramp vampire. Ha- yeah, has Luke try to see the past of the murder, sending his mind to see the victim of Edward Lardy Bagnell, who's a fat kid with glasses. So I have instant empathy who's for him. He's hiding his sex magazine. Yeah, he's got a radio in his nudie mag, and he's snuck into this abandoned house to do his best, listening to the song uh, "From Me to You" by the Beatles, which is once more written creepily, despite again being kind of an upbeat pop song. I feel like you don't need to go to the basement to. J.O. Well, you know he, what I mean? He thought he heard a noise in the basement and goes to investigate. He leaves his nudie mag behind, which is why it was found yeah, by I, the I kids. I just wouldn't found do all the things that he did where then he breaks his foot, but that's fine. These horror movie tropes had not been established where if you just hear a noise in the basement, you let it go. Yeah, no, I leave with my nude magazine. He goes down the stairs, but trips and breaks his ankle and starts crying quite a bit. I feel bad for this young man, Fox. It's a bummer. I do. I look, I do too because it's it's look, I've I've done my share of trip and falls downstairs, down all sorts of things. And I have been very fortunate not to break something, but I know that you can, and this is a child who yeah. is now trapped in a in a in an abandoned basement with a broken leg. I felt very bad and then a vampire showed up. You know? Totally. Yeah, it's always worse when the when a vampire shows up. God, um, strong agree. He also, Fuck vampires. Yeah, he also, vampires are so lazy. Anyway. <laughs> he also broke his radio when he fell, and suddenly a set of feet appear on the stairs as Summer Holiday by Cliff Richard plays. For a moment, Edward is relieved, but then the figure does something to him and sucks all the life out of him. His body just shrivels up. And then the figure looks over its shoulder and sees Luke looking into the past at him. It's got a rotten face and bright red eyes. And the vision is too much for Luke who passes out. And the tramp carries him home in his arms. Well, weird. No comment. Luke wakes up in his bed, then runs out to meet the tramp, Zeke, leaving behind his bored cousin, Kim. He finds they Zeke. Zeke the freak, but uh, don't need to know what that is. Oh my! He finds Zeke in sort of a small forest, uh, making tea, and asks about what happened to Edward. Luke calls Edward Lardy. I'm not gonna. Zeke explains that Edward was killed yeah. by a creature that was once a sorcerer, like what Uncle Elias would have become if Luke hadn't stopped him. What all sorcerers might become, honestly. Zeke had been following this creature for three years, tracked him to a basement in Germany where- And staked him. Yeah, where the creature was sleeping in a coffin and staked him like Professor Van Helsing. But this guy isn't like, those aren't the vampire rules, basically. So the stake (laughs) just made the creature mad. Listen, I was on a stake out for that there vampire and it didn't really work out. It instead stabbed Zeke in turn with the stake and left him for dead, though luckily Zeke survived. Zeke isn't I mean, magic and all that, right? Yeah, and w- but with all that, Zeke isn't even sure how to kill this creature. Fire, maybe? Probably, Probably sunlight? sunlight? Yeah, I mean, that'll... Like, so... <laughs> Conrad, you've been hanging out with this homeless guy who's like, there's definitely a vampire, a vampire doing all these things to your friends. Oh, I fucking... I tried to stick him with, the, with some wood, and that didn't work, but I don't know how to kill him. Maybe, maybe like, like, light... Light might kill him. Maybe, maybe some sunlight. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't inspire confidence. Again, he's talking to a child, so like the child's just gonna eat this shit up. Like, yeah, okay, probably sunlight. Let's find him. 
and bring him into the sun. Yeah, it'll be cool. Listen, that's why you fight va- va- vampires cool are famously weak to sun, buddy. We know this. Yeah, well, but you there's no reason to, him. There's no reason to give him a it's hard like, time. But it's a, well, the same thing is like the stake didn't work, so we got to take him into the sun. I'm like, throw a garland of of fucking garlic at him, you know. Like, if that doesn't work, maybe the sun thing doesn't work. Maybe, you know, your your texts are out of date here, Zeke the Freak. I think he just wants to stab people. I think this guy's just a stabber. All right. Give him a break. Okay. Anyway, from the shadows, we see Kim looking in and all this planning, listening to My Kind of Girl by Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Turn your radio off when you're sneaking, Kim. But then we see your terrified face and a rough hand covers her mouth and seems to grab her. <gasps> And and she's got the gasp eyes. Yeah. Like, oh no, I've been I've been caught. I'm glad they didn't do um uh, a a tintin like a, a cloth covering the mouth chloroform thing. Mm. That gives you brain damage. I mean, what doesn't? Luke arrives home to find his mom <laughs> extremely worried, and the police in the house because it seems Kim is missing. And they're all worried. They weren't worried about Luke, though. He's been missing the same amount of time. Yeah, I know that that child's fine. He's he's uh, he's already you know lived through a bad time so like what's another one luke realizes what's happened and knows the police won't be able to help instead he goes to his room and focuses on a polaroid picture of kim briefly hearing the song memphis tennessee by johnny rivers then static oh i was gonna say he was actually hearing the song look at this photograph Get out of here. Then, Every time it makes me laugh. Then static, then the flapping of wings, then something sharp, and Luke's mind is filled with words of pain, torture, pierce, harsh, cruel, agony, that kind of stuff. Oh, so super metal shit. So she's into that she's into that black metal. She's in she might be the first baby metal artist. I was really tempted to take a screenshot of just all those words and put it on my on our on the space spinner Twitter saying, uh, hey, the first two words you see is how the rest of your 2020 is going to be or 2021 is going to be. You've got to like wipe out all the words and just have it say consistently, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage over mm. and over again. I think we're with that, a child cry. <laughs> must be a year away from that, I want to say. Bullet with butterfly. Wing. Oh, 95. No, still two years away or three years away, I guess. Anyway. I mean, it's got the look. That's all yes. I'm saying. The creature must be blocking Luke from finding Kim as the sun sets. Luke runs out of his house back to the forest to find Zeke. Zeke has Luke take a drink from his flask to steady his nerves, then brew some coffee. We got to be clear headed if we're going to look for Kim. Yeah, well, yeah, we don't want to get drunk on the tea that I've been giving you, you fucking runt. In Prague 807, Luke moves to the back of the Prague as the now clear-headed pair sit cross-legged on the ground and step off of our world and into the world beyond. So, I mean, God, I, I'm not into... What is it called? That They, they call it this on Coast to Coast Radio. It's like far-seeing or... Remote viewing. What the fuck is it called? Remote viewing. They do remote viewing. I'm yeah. not into it. Well, I mean, this is more like entering the astral realm, honestly, if you ask me. Um, I, that's. Ooh, I don't think this place projection. is a. I don't think this house is a real house. I think they're in a mystic place right now. Somebody's. Hey, hey listen, who doesn't like a podcast potentially about a mystical sorcerer? I mean, I listen, I just I just recognize this stuff because I have experience. 
Um, game recognizes game. I get yeah, you. It's a misty world of twisting trees and ruined old fences and gates. They speak telepathically as Zeke explains that this is the land of the Night Haunter. So you got to keep your mouth closed and your thoughts guarded. Suddenly, though, they hear a voice singing Stand By Me by Benny King. They arrive to um, at a spooky old mansion. But then a voice calls out. It's some weirdo, kind of a short, bug-eyed version of Tiny Tim wearing a red and yellow jester outfit without the hat. Man, see, this is the thing. I'd be making friends with all the minor wraiths. Agreed. Minor wraiths are like the the life of the part. Yeah. The, the uh, being asks if Luke and Zeke will be his friend. Zeke tells Luke to ignore this dude. And uh, as the dude complains about bird shit being all over the place, they approach the house and the jester guy tells them not to. And Zeke yells at him, calling him a scabbery, a scabious little bag of pus and threatens him I, with glowing I, eyes. I, OK, he's like before any of this happens, he's like, oh, this is a this is a minor wraith. You, you ignore them. They're they're shitty, whatever. And this minor wraith straight up is like, hey, listen, like, yeah, it was being a real goof. Don't go over there. It's bad. I'm like, what? That's that's like a, that's like a good person to be in touch with <laughs> in the astral realms. Nah, buddy. You got to nah, just... man. Go to the spooky house full of the terror bats. That's a good choice. Very, Do Im- that. very important to alienate all potential allies when you're in a strange mindscape. Oh, yeah. With with a man named Zeke, who's a vagrant, like go go into the spooky house. Listen, listen, Fox. I feel like we're being real He's mean. Not, just we're being real mean about the fact that, that that Zeke doesn't have doesn't have a house, man. You know, come on. He's pursuing the mystic look, arts I, again. Like I look not making a judgment call on his life decisions. I am making a judgment call that this man is like. I'm going to coax this child to go into this spooky house. Mm. Don't talk to anyone okay. else in the astral realm. Okay. Only talk to me. They move closer to the mansion as a bunch of birds take off from its bro- broken roof. No, wait, not birds. Bats! Bats! This is the sign. We're in bat country. This, these floorboards are soaked with ether. <laughs> this is a sign that the night walker is too powerful at night. They'll have to retreat and hope the walker's powers are lessened when the sun is out. Pray it'll be weak enough for them to take it on. Next time, the real thing. Is this? Is there a sun in the astral realm? Oh, no. Oh, they, they were doing their peaceful fucking, like, let's do an astral projection during the day. But now they're the astral project. Like, is it opposite day there? I mean, they, oh, they did start going out there late at night. Like, I think, you know, I don't know. No, they astral projected during the days, like put coffee on. It was daytime. No, it wasn't. Luke waited until it was nighttime so he could sneak out of his house and found Zeke, you know, at the end of his day getting drunk. And when Luke arrived and explained oh, right. what happened. Yeah, get me sober. Yeah, yeah he put co- so, he made so daytime coffee. in the normal place that you're in is daytime. It in seems the like the realm. times are the same one way and another. Yeah. Well, I mean, but what if the astral realm's like, you know, plus six hours from where you are? I presumably Zeke knows what he's doing with the time stuff and will come back. I don't <laughs> I mean, know. He's, he's drunk, Conrad. Anyway, let's talk about something that seems like a drunken nightmare. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to give these guys the benefit. No, you've got, I'm just you've trying got to logic. T- I'm just hey, trying listen, to tell a I horror believe. story, buddy, and give these guys the benefit of the doubt where they were having oh, yeah. some fun stuff going on, you know? Speaking of fun stuff. Anyway, 
Yeah, speaking of uh, strange realities going on, Fox, let's a fucking a, a goddamn like fever dream. Let's talk about Thrill Six Wireheads meetings and muggers. It's a whole thing. Script robot Mark Ailes, art robot Mike Haley, letting robot Ellie Deville. Tokyo 2040 is red and full of weirdos, including a bunch of assassins about to try to kill um, cyber, you know, internet operative uh, mirror. That's his job title. Lamborghini Taiachi or Taichi. Also, also full of uh, anime references about a man on a motorcycle Mm -hmm. turning into meat. But when he's attacked, it seems that Lamb can matrix can load up martial arts programs matrix style, and he quickly takes out all three of these guys at once. He then gets a message from T. Redro, who's saying that Mercy Shriek from Free Trade Incorporated wants to talk to him. Lamb pops into Paris space to hear. It. I guess he just sort of passes out in the middle of the street, surrounded oh, well, by no, these he took assassins. The red pill, you know. Meanwhile, Normals, Patsy, and Ginger are off to have a vacation at Dream Tours, worrying if it'll be okay because they've had brain flu in the past, where they all load into parasuits and a dude named Jem with a J, like Jem and the Holograms, so to went off the good. air in 1988. I, I thought the same thing. Yep. He's going to be their, to- their virtual tour guide because he's truly outrageous. He shows them oh. <laughs> past the Maelstrom, which is the only surviving and insane artificial intelligence, and then shows them to the Leisure Drome, where you can live out your various gross fantasies of both the flesh yeah, and the mind. Listen, you could be a bunch of screaming omnipresent faces, or you could go to the pleasure of the flesh. Good times. Meanwhile, Lamb and T arrive at Shriek's office in Paris space where she where Shriek offers Lamb a job. Lamb, though, is happy working for Hajime Zaibatsu and mentions that Free Trade Inc. is the world's l- largest legitimized crime company. Shriek's- also, just real quick, we're going to turn into an M. Bison. Yeah. Shriek says Lamb doesn't really have a choice. Meanwhile, in real life, it seems Lamb was found passed out beside his attackers on the street. And a lady named Shamoon in a ridiculous red-yellow getup go in after him in Paris space. <gasps> ridiculous? Nah, man. M. Bison coined that shit. She's she's rocking it. Shoulder pads. Got the hat. Ah, God. I mean, I, I feel like she just needs to, like... Ha- Wait, no, she doesn't. She doesn't have pupils. She's M. Bison. She, to me, she just looks like a Happy Meal box, basically, these red and golds. <laughs> there. Um, Lamb rejects the offer as Shamoon arrives on the scene. In some very cramped panels, Shriek pulls out a Ripper, which is a gun that kills mirrors in Paris space, and shoots Lamb what despite his defenses and Shamoon's objections. So... Mercy is killing Ugh. Lamb for not taking her job offer, and Shamoon activates a time lock. It's very weird. I find a lot of the opening dialogues of uh, Wireheads to be really weird because they have the – they'll generally have a couple word balloons saying what's going on, but they'll always end in periods. So it says like, you are killing Lamb. I activate a time stop as opposed yeah, to like – Paraspace virtual reality. As a- Free Trade Incorporated. 
data zone. As opposed to like, you're killing lamb with an exclamation mark or something like that. Exactly. I don't know. Anyway, the time lock freezes Mercy for 30 seconds so everyone's able to escape. Shamoon works for Paraspace Intelligence and offers T a defection deal in the Leisure Drone. Jem yeah. shows, shows Ginger and Patsy to the pleasures of the flesh when suddenly a strange black figure falls from the sky and lands on Ginger, creating a double of her. Yeah, what? <laughs> In the public internet domain, what? this creature called Zinc asks the real Ginger to help his ma- his mistress. Apparently she can because she had brain flu in the past. Back in the leisure drome, Jen- Brain flu. Jem has twigged that something happened to Ginger, but the devil blows up when he checks it. Um, <laughs> it seems she's been attacked- Because, like, like, really, why not, right? Yeah. It seems she's been attacked by a virus, so Jem's going to have to go after her once he gets- Patsy to Ugh. the city of unfolding dreams. In the data war zone, it seems that T has been hired by Paraspace Intelligence. And Lamb <laughs> says that this whole thing is about a deal between Mercy Shriek and Hajime Zaibatsu's genetic engineering head, Oda Nobunaga. Ugh. It's like something they've worked out. And here's where I mentioned that Oda. Oh, by the, the, the name. Oda Nobunaga. Yeah, is the name was... of the great unifier of Japan that helped end yeah. the Sengoku or warring states period of Japan. So The Sengoku Jidai. Basically, yeah. this is like having a character in your comic name like George Washington or like, uh, <laughs> like Oliver Cromwell or something like that. <laughs> like oh Thank yes like we're having a story set in japan so let's just and george washington just ha- was there well it's like it's, it's like if you're just having a character be exotically from america and their boss is named like george washington or something it's just let's have a character in this mysterious far-off place and i can't think of a name for him so let's just name him after the most popular character uh, person in their history basically um oh my god <laughs> Lamb plans to go see Oda and invites T to his place in Tokyo, and then everybody logs off. IRL T books a flight from. Got <laughs> other shit to do. Yeah, well, she's got to take a flight from Neo LA to Tokyo as Lamb heads to uh, Hajime Zaibatsu. And I should also say that uh, Hajime, like they're saying it here, isn't really a word, although Hajime without a D in the middle of it is how you say start or go in Japanese martial art matches. So he goes to those offices as Shamoon or Xaviera Velvet, that's her real, that's her government name, pushes her way into the HJZ, into the Hajime Zaibatsu data zone. At the offices, Lamb asks his boss what's up, says Mercy tried to poach him, and Oda Nobunaga presses a button that brings in a bunch of uh, cyber assassins that are going to kill Lamb, kill Lamb, and now he's falling off the side of a window. As Lamb falls, Foxy jacks into spare into paraspace oh, and basically uses uh. it, uses it to call a sky cab that catches him on the fly, and takes him back to his apartment where he meets the IRLT. Lamb goes to change pants as Shamoon reports in. She's found a file <laughs> linking Free Trade Incorporated and Hadrame and Paraspace. Zinc leads Ginger to a database of a computer on the moon. Uh, it's a, a pair of, it's a base for <laughs> poor for paraspace intelligence and it seems that scalpel who's the head of paraspace intelligence is threatening Zeke's mistress's existence and there's a ray of radio lasers on the moon pointed at earth planning to destroy it what a vacation situation <laughs> 
Back at the leisure, the drome gem drops Patsy off of the Garden of Earthly Delights. There's a bunch of, like, super stuff going on in the background, including a uh, a tick-like superhero named Holy Cow yep. and a flying cyborg dolphin that I'm going to assume is a reference to the uh, short story for Johnny Mnemonic. And I guess the mo- – you know, the cyber dolphin would make it to the movie, but of course the movie's not out yet. He explains – uh, Jem explains that he's a mirror and kind of gives us some more background and the fact that mirrors are cool cyborgs. He shows off his robo guts and Look stuff. Look at my guts. Yeah. He says, he'll go find Ginger. Enjoy yourself while he's gone. Jem flies out, immediately finds Zink and Ginger, but Zeke, Zink easily blasts him away. Back on Earth, T and Lamb arrive at a para-junkie hotel where people who love using para-space plug into VR and just stay there until they die of starvation. <laughs> All three of the mirrors arrive at this data corridor where Shamoon has found a file, but then suddenly that scalpel guy arrives and blasts the file with a para-space gun? <laughs> <laughs> In, in 807, Fox, wa- the wa- wireheads moves the middle of the prog, and there's more non-exclamation point explanation of what's going on. <sighs> You're destroying the file. <laughs> As Shimon once again does a time lock and T does a ripper program to try to get the file. Basically, though, <laughs> what's important is that all these characters have bosses and everybody's boss is after them. As Scalpel tells the trio to stay aw- stay away from the Erebus project. It's too big for you to do anything anyway. <laughs> what is the Erebus project? I don't know, but I'll Go tell ahead. you that Erebus itself is sort of the ancient Greek deity oh. of deepest or primordial darkness, I guess. More of a concept than a god. Oh. I guess, although I should say that Erebus is also <laughs> the head dark apostle in the word bearer's space marine legion. He brought Horus to heresy. Fuck. Anyway, uh, then they go the to Horus read. Horus heresy is a big deal, man. Absolutely. Don't get me started. They go to read the file, but then it just explodes into green goop. T <laughs> and it glops on everybody. That's right. T and Lamb tell Shamoon to get her body to safety as Jem comes, uh, wakes up and goes to follow Ginger and Zink. Shamoon heads into the real life city, I guess, leaves the hospital where she was previously yeah, into the city. About that. Passing a bunch of real gross folk. I, I don't know what's going on here, but there's a bunch of like human heads <laughs> on robot armatures here, and I'm not sure. <laughs> If these are people or drones or people get their legs replaced with robo legs or something. Cybrogs. Something. Anyway, um, she does this as with Lamb and T riding shotgun <coughs> paraspace style inside her head. She climbs into an airlock to like the the road city, the <laughs> tunnels between buildings. Oh but a member of the Assassin's <laughs> Guild is after her and <laughs> He basically says, like, uh, please cooperate with your murder as it occurs. Um, which I think is that I think that's actually pretty funny of just using this like modern no, having a having an assassin use like customer service oh. language as they go to kill you, basically. Oh. But instead, Lamb is able to load one of his self-defense programs into Shamoon's head. So she like judo throws the assassin and he falls down a big t- pipe and lands oh. on his own dagger dying. <laughs> 
she eventually, though, arrives at this, like, uh, crack house, Paraspace Hotel that they're all at now. And warns T and Lamb about more assassins nosing. Oh, sorry. Uh, on the way, several uh, junkies at the hotel mention that um, there's assassins about as well. Uh, also, we need to go into this vagina bot. Yeah. Um, anyway, she says all <laughs> yeah, that stuff. You're so dejected about she, the vagina bot. She goes to wash up as the other two jack back into the pair space and surf the data <laughs> waves trying to find Oda Nobunaga. I'm not <laughs> sure if they're doing his name right by calling him Oda here because that's like his last name. It's, you know, uh, Japanese naming conventions. I don't know. Um, but it, oh, it also takes up less space, so I can definitely <laughs> empathize while they're doing it. From here, I kind of lost the the track of what the fuck was happening in, in Wireheads, Fox. <laughs> Just in terms of like, of like, they are they're surfing around, and there's this giant statue holding like a golden file or box or something, but then. <laughs> But then somewhere there's also a spaceship, like a Paraspace spaceship, and T and Lamb can look into the spaceship, and they see Oda and Mercy in there, and they know the ship is bound for Paraspace IQ, HQ, but I and it seems to also involve the giant statue somehow, but I don't know how, Fox. What's important, though, is that suddenly a giant cyberspace warrior appears, it's scalpel, and I'm going to fry your brains. <laughs> Next time on Wireheads, Eraserhead. <laughs> Sorry, Conrad. Oh, please give me a second. Oh. <laughs> I just, I don't know, fuck. Conrad, hold on, please, hold on. I have to stop smiling. Give me a sec. Okay, so, before you continue, because I don't want to laugh anymore. This is what I want. So, this is Aeon Flux, the MTV cartoon, in so many ways. However, especially entering someone's vagina door. Whatever, Aeon Flux. This is what I wish cyberpunk 2077 was like everything that you explained mm -hmm. i wish that that was cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not it's not in any sort of way but like i like much like you i wrestled through this i had to fight through this comic and i don't know if i love it or hate it but i will tell you this much conrad your synopsis of it is exactly the fever dream i went through yeah like why i can't say i can't say it was horrible and and, and i'm gonna give you the floor i can't say this was horrible but i can say it was fucking completely difficult and i don't understand why i yield the rest of my time to the gentleman on the floor so like <laughs> maybe they go through like I guess that yeah this vagina door or this door there's this giant statue I'm looking at it now in the physical Fox there's like a giant statue of a someone in like a bunny suit but like in one of those like uh, suits you wear when you're doing data when, when you're like putting together microprocessors and stuff but with also like metal shoulder pads and knee pads and stuff <laughs> and there's a doorway 
with like a <laughs> landing pad. Vagina vulva area. I mean, it's just in the crotch area with the panel hanging out. That could be a wang as much as anything else, Fox. I'm Listen, like, no, where it where it is is in the no. literal vagina location. No, and it's then not. It goes closer. Then it goes closer up, and it's above the navel. But if you look at the first shot, it's below the navel. It goes. It's sort of in the front of the body, sort of. It, but it, it's on the front of the. I just of the person why? of the, of the okay, torso, you know what? which is not where. Listen, I don't know. <laughs> now where I've I'm seen just, it, usually not like sort of on, I just on bottom. I'm like that's not the entry location for whatever the fuck it is they're doing. You don't need to go into the belly portion of a of a. I don't know that. I, I don't. I don't know that. You maybe. That's, you know what? Maybe Conrad, that is fair. They're tracking them <laughs> to maybe this fight and that spaceship and stuff is all inside that big statue or something. I don't know. They don't. But it's but it's on like an award pedestal. So if you remember what it looked like when they went yeah, into it, it's but the pedestal it's like an award and the pedestal has like some graffiti on it. Yeah, S bellow rip. So S dot bellow. Rest in peace. So, like, Saul Bellow, maybe? I'm Saul Bellow, and if you're going to come into my into my statue where I've been where I've been buried, you're going to have to go yeah, through the so, that's, that, that's a guy. Hold on. Fucking racist. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, what What am I doing? What am I being bad? This is funny. You heard someone say, say Saul, and you get that. Uh, 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 no, uh, no, I know. I get the jerky G- boys Jewish, Jewish dad from family guy. No, guy. I know. No, no, that's, it's, no, it's from the jerky boys, Saul. And Saul Bella wasn't even dead yet. Oh, man. I mostly know him just because he wrote I, that well, book. No, he I, wrote that book, Henderson and the Rain King, which then became a Counting Crows song. Which Harry and the Henderson. I was very into, <laughs> actually, around this time. Or no, maybe in a year or two. Anyway, Fox. Anytime I hear Saul, I think Saul Rosenberg, which is a Jerky Boys reference. Mm-hmm. So it's like, And that's the voice they did. It's not me being like I've not. Uh, Conrad. Fox, what are your top bottom thrills for this October 1992? Uh, fuck. I mean, after that. Uh, so, I, uh, <laughs> I, Zaibatsu obviously cannot. I, I, like, okay, because I just want to talk about wireheads for the rest of my life, I feel like. <laughs> I wished for the rest of our career, all we talked about was an increasingly complicated wireheads plot. Nah. In a way. I... No, so the reason why not is. Because it's an increasingly complicated wireheads plot, if that makes sense. Like, there's so much work being done here to explain the images that I'm seeing. You know me. Too many words. What's worse is that, like, those words being constantly at odds with me trying to understand your thing is not good. So the reason that I'm bringing it up now, I found it hilarious hearing you struggle through having to write a, a... a script to quantify how confusing Wireheads is. That's my bottom. Wireheads is my bottom, but it's also, it's not the, reading it is the worst thing that I did. Listening to you talk about it is the best thing that happened to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? We had a real, uh, we had a real angel kind of moment here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of what I mean is like, I, I wanted to bring it up as like it, it is worth reading because as you go through it, you want to quit the whole time. And also you feel like you're drunk 
Like, that's the feeling I felt reading Wireheads. I felt like I was intoxicated. It's like, I, why am I not understanding what the fuck is going on? I still don't know what the fuck is going on. They're like, anyway, as for my top, listen, man, you, it's flesh. Like, it can't not be flesh. I, I love, love it. It is to me like an A team of dinosaurs mm-hmm. that I want to read. Um, I will say Judge Shred did not move me this month as much as I, I like. I felt that it was zany enough. It was good. It's a good starter. Um, Finn, we'll see where it goes. You know, I like Finn. Finn's nuts enough. Yeah, very early days um, for Finn here. The reason that Zenith, I, I would say, is not my top is that there were just better portions of the story. I still think that it is fucking high quality. Um, I... I just I loved flesh so much. Nice. It it carried me through such a large portion of this comic. And like, okay, so to be clear to everybody listening, I started this reading it and saying, like, man, I understand everything that's happening. And then as I got through this comic, I started like the world started unraveling. Why is this child around a homeless man? Oda, Oda Nobunaga, Zaibatsu, what the fuck? We're going through slipstreams, and and this comic is a nightmare now, Conrad. <laughs> and I'm gonna ask you what what are your top and bottom thrills? But after after we close out with Wireheads, I like there's nothing left in my brain. So please, top and bottom thrills, sir. Oh man, I mean, bleh. I think this is a. I, I I mean I feel like this is definitely not the worst we've seen of a oh, it, week no. of 2000 AD since we've it's covered 1992. It's interesting as all fucking get out. Um, it's interesting as all get out. Interesting. Yeah, I liked the dread stuff. I thought this was a fun dread. Um, yeah. Week. Um, yeah, like you said, just kind of a of a of, of a zany little story. I feel like that's very much what the Joyce character gets. Though I think for my top. I think I will say Zenith. Actually, I thought this was a pretty interesting capper. I'm I'm glad you did because I think it deserves the recognition. Yeah, just to the thrill overall and stuff like that. Um, and um, yeah, so I think I think that was I think that was pretty good. I'm um, yeah, I thought that was um, uh, excuse me, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, I thought I thought that that was a good end to the series. I really liked the kind of downer. I, and, I mean, a woman threw a baby into the sky and it turned into yeah. I think it it's some nothing. It somehow managed to have two downer en- endings, like both the downer ending of um, actually three maybe one the downer ending of the <laughs> of the Loigor winning and and ruling the universe. And the downer ending of, <laughs> um, you know. Oh, wait, bitch, you're trapped. Sinjin's superpowers, superpowered, like, uh, rise to dominance of the world stage. Like, the seeds being set mm. for that. And then the just em- embrace of apathy that is Zenith generally. So I thought those were all kind of I interesting. Mean, yeah, ends. no, Zenith is the worst superhero yeah. ever. And then. For my bottom, um, I'm actually like, listen, I know we're down on it, but I'm, I am, I am enjoying uh, the, the, the Lou Kirby story. I think that they yeah. are doing some interesting stuff just to do some, some mystical spooky things, which I think is cool. So it's not my bottom. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, I just do not like this wirehead story, Fox. <laughs> 
I don't. Okay. I don't so like. I, I, I don't. I don't. I just want to say that I don't like the way it's written. I don't like the way it looks. Um, I find it to generally be. Con- there are a lot of elements that are generally very confusing. So before and you tell me that it's your bottom, just before you tell me it's your bottom, I would love some behind the scenes. So you had to write a script. Yeah. For wireheads. Yeah, I mean, I read yeah, everything. Listen, if you're a three dollar Patreon uh, backer, you can see my scripts for everything. It's basically just so, what I say for the record. How 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 did this one treat you? Bad. That's the question that I really. Have I'll to. tell you <laughs> that my all my um, recaps for wireheads it was delivered perfectly. By the way, all my all my delivered. recaps for wireheads are, lo- are they're the longest part of this um, recap. That's it's the longest thrill in terms of words. They're full of parenthetical asides as I try to explain to myself what the hell is going on to remind myself as we get to it. Um, I spent a lot of time distracting myself with random pieces of information, which is why I looked up. I didn't just look up Oda Nobunaga, but I looked up the word Hajime just to see if that was a word as well, you know? Um, and it's just honestly... These last couple it's so much work. These last couple episodes have really started to make the between this and Robo Hunter have really oh, started man. to make the end of 2000 AD have a lot of dread for a me, slog. Fox. Like you know, uh, I am uh, when I started reading this sorry, after everything. Dread else, with an A, Fox. I should say not not judge. Yeah, dread. I, well, when I when I hit this at the end of our of my reading, because I go through yeah. the parts each, right? Okay, so I'm I'm tired from my day. I've read some good comics, regardless of how I feel about them. And then I got to Wireheads, and it's it's playing a game of connect the dots, except there's no dots. You don't have a pencil, and someone is shooting fireworks in your face. That's the feeling that I got. I was like, what what is going on? And I'm trying to pay attention. I just feel like I, <laughs> it's me, beautiful in a way. Like I, I like Mike Hadley's art, and he does do a real. Mm, he does yeah, do yeah. mostly a good job of creating these very surreal data spaces. When we're in, I love. I, I do really like the look of Paris space. I really don't like yeah. how he draws the real world and these creepy ass robot people. I don't like them, <laughs> Fox. <laughs> I, I feel like that's part of why, right? The real world is ugly. That's why well, you go listen, to... listen, even if it's the point, I'm still grossed out, you know? Like, it doesn't yeah, make me yeah. not grossed out to know that I'm being grossed out for a reason, <laughs> you know? Um, but so... <laughs> and then I kind of talked about some of the, like, the writing stuff, like some weird punctuation things and stuff like that. I'm not a huge fan of all these people not having p- pupils and being weird cyborg people. Like I don't, <laughs> or, or opening up their chest flaps before you jump onto a a giant fish. See, I am okay. Launcher, I am okay and with then that. Go into sp- I do well, like, and then go into space where a big man holds you as you get sucked into a mouth, and then and then. You eventually walk into a person's. Yeah. I'm just. I just want to say, as a, as a long-term Bill and Ted fan, I appreciate opening your chest up to prove that you're a robot. That's good. That's good work. But anyway, Fox. 
Anyway, we've done our tops and bottoms. I've got I got Zenith and Wireheads on the bottom. Wireheads bad. So I hope everybody enjoyed our enjoyed the show and all our belly aching. I did. As always, I did. As always, I, I enjoyed it massively. All right. By the way, as always, you can find Space Spinner two thousand on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site spacebinner two thousand dot com. Feel free to contact us at spacebinner two thousand at gmail dot com on two thousand eighty forums, Instagram, or our Twitter page and Twitter at spacebinner two k for everything else with spacebinner two thousand. We should be there, and then drop us a rating or review wherever you're listening. It helps a lot. Tell people looking for a cool podcast. This show is brought to you by Steve. Green. Green, Robert Harding, and Zane Kip Miller, and your friends, the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Then come back next time, Ooh. Fox. As Dread, oh, God. Oh, God. As Dread goes after an old rival... Finn is betrayed, Revere returns, and will reach yes! climaxes in Wireheads, Flesh, and Luke Kirby. I don't know what those three things could be in terms of climax, but I am excited for Revere. That's great. It's an exciting time. We've only got two more episodes left in 1992, I believe. Oh, oh my God. Oh, no. That means I have to think about yeah. Wireheads. So you and not put it in any of my mentions. You and everybody else had better start thinking about your spinny nominations. You got advance warning here. Get them in your brain. And until then, God, I'm gonna listen back to this episode. I, like it's so funny. Yeah, and until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid. Yeah.